Dr. Ann Hutchison was raised in Glasgow, Scotland. She earned her veterinary degree from the University of Glasgow in 1980. Afterwards, she entered mixed animal practice and after a few stops, spent the majority of her career in small animal practice in air. Her holistic journey started with an MFHOM course for humans, followed by a short veterinary acupuncture course. She completed the IVIS acupuncture course in 1999 and then spent time with Dr. Maria Galinsky in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and two other Midwestern United States veterinary practices getting her acupuncture internship hours. Afterwards, she completed a three and a half year course in human Chinese medicine and acupuncture at the College of Integrated Chinese Medicine in Reading, UK, while at the same time working in small animal practice. She's one of the few veterinarians in the UK to be certified in rehabilitation by the Canine Rehabilitation Institute. Dr. Hutchison has lectured both nationally and internationally on various rehabilitation and acupuncture topics. She retired from practice in May of 2020, but joined Herbal Vets Scotland in October of 2021 and practices exclusively holistic medicine there. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Ann Hutchison as we discuss her veterinary education, early years in general practice, her time in the United States, adding holistic modalities to her practice, and the benefits of not having to muzzle humans in order to treat them with acupuncture. Dr. Hutchinson, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk today. Not at all, Neil. It's my pleasure. So where did you grow up? I grew up um, in the south side of Glasgow. Um, I was born and raised, I stayed in the same family home from the time I was born and actually stayed there right throughout my time in vet school as well. Was it uh, was it a rural environment, or when you know what sparked your interest in veterinary medicine? Do you know it was one of these things, Neil? I feel very blessed in life because I always knew I wanted to be a vet. Um, I'm not quite sure how or why I knew, but I just always knew that that was what I wanted to do, um, and because of that. It, it kind of streamlined all my choices as regards education and subjects that I had to pick. And but I, I was always interested in the natural world as a child. I was one of these children who, you know, was always collecting tadpoles and keeping them in jars to watch them turn into frogs and keeping insects in the, you know, the jar in the bedroom at home. And of course they always escaped, didn't they? And, um, I had ferrets and I'd always wanted a dog. We didn't have a family dog, um, so much so that I, I can't remember quite what age I was, but I, I was quite young. I think it was about six and I'd gone to the local farm with my mother to collect milk. That was in the days when you did go to the local farm to collect milk. And uh, I built up a relationship with a farm collie, which, which was a beautiful dog. And I snuck back one afternoon when it was raining because I felt so sorry for him. And I found a bit of binder twine, which I put around his neck. And I took him home and <laughs> kept him and I stole the farm collie. When I think of it now, I mean, in, in my childish, logical, reasonable mind, this was, you know, a good thing to do because now he had a lovely bedroom with a shaggy pile carpet and he didn't have to be out in the barn. And I managed to hide him for nearly a whole day before oh, parents discovered <laughs> Frog marched back to the to the farm, of course, and had to profusely apologise for my great sinful action. But it was like um, I just have always been felt bonded to animals and and nature. Um, 
I, I didn't want to do human medicine. My uncle was the local general practitioner. He was the, the GP um, where we lived. But for whatever reason, human human medicine didn't didn't call me. Um, but the the veterinary world did. Unfortunately, I was blessed with a fairly fierce intellect, which I didn't waste. So um, getting into vet school was was okay for me. What was vet school? What did you enjoy vet school? What was it like for you? I loved vet school. Um, I really did enjoy vet school. Um, it just kind of felt at, at last I'd arrived in the environment that I wanted to be in. Um, school was okay, but um, vet school I just felt surrounded by my kind of my core clan, if you like. Um, everybody always, you know, had the same interest. We all shared the same the same theme and in fact some of the friends that I, I met and made in those days which is now going back I went to vet school in 1975 believe it or not um, and I'm still friends with and keep in contact with my group from from vet school days um, it was it was a great five years at Glasgow. How many people were in your class? At that point in time, it was kind of between 65 and 70. Um, and in those days, the vast majority were male, um, which, of course, is completely different from what it's like nowadays. Are your, uh, when you keep in touch with your classmates, are they still working? Or Most of them are now retired. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mo- most of them have retired within the last few years. Did you know what kind of medicine you want to do when you got out of school? Do you know, I didn't. I think um, because at that point in time, it was a predominantly male-based profession, I was determined that certainly for my first few years, I wanted to do mixed practice. Um, I think more to prove, I don't know, probably to prove to myself that I could rather than because it's what I really wanted to, to do. But I went into a mixed practice after qualifying, which was probably problematic because I'm, let's just say, vertically challenged. I'm five foot two um, mm. and didn't come from any kind of farming background. But it, it's, I just kind of felt it was a rite of passage. Um, and I must admit, I landed in a, in a fabulous practice for my first practice. So that was, that was really ideal. Was it far from home? It was. Um, (laughs) One of my mentors had given me the sound advice that the first practice you you want to go and work in should be as far from home as possible so that when you do want to come back, then nobody would know all your initial mistakes. So (laughs) that that was actually quite quite good advice. Not that I had a lot of initial mistakes, but yeah, no, it was on the, the South the South Welsh coastal border. Um, And it was a a really good practice. It was a a young man who had opened his own practice. So he was still on his own. Um, He was in his early 30s. So he remembered what it was like to be a new graduate. He had built up the practice to the point where it was now too big for him alone, but not quite big enough to have two full-time vets. So he decided if he took on a new graduate that he could mentor um, and mould into the way that he liked to do things, then that that was his kind of best choice. And so it was a win-win situation. I got the the best of his mentoring and his experience, um, and he got my 
kind of youthful enthusiasm and keenness. And he, he decided in his wisdom that he would open up in the Welsh Valleys. So I was given a, a tent um, on wheels, if you like, um, to tow up the Welsh Valleys. And I would erect this tent in a supermarket car park in a, in a little Welsh mining town where they'd never had a vet before. And the, the local population would bring whatever animal they had that was ailing and form a little neat queue outside my tent. Um, so you, you can imagine it was it was like the old James Herriot days. Yeah, that was, that was actually a brilliant idea, right? It, it, you know, it was. It was. It was great for me because I, I had to learn on my feet. Um, it was great for him because I actually started to, to build up a veterinary presence in, in in the valleys and the villages where there hadn't been one before. Um, and we very quickly outgrew the tent. Within six months, I was towing a caravan um, up the Welsh valleys and they would they would stop me from whatever place they, they needed of it. And I would stop and nip into the caravan and we would treat their animal. And then I would go onwards once again into the, the car park of the supermarket. Um, and the only night that was problematic, actually, Neil, was Thursday night because that was brass band practice night. And we also, <laughs> used, we also used the supermarket car park. So I, I would be practicing in my little caravan to the umpapas of the various trombones and trumpets of the Welsh. Oh my gosh. Was there any, <laughs> was there any pushback because you're a female? No, there, I have to say not a single bit of pushback. Um, the, 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 the people in, in these Welsh Valley um, villages were so welcoming. And so, and again, I made friends there um, that, that are lifelong friends. They were so welcoming. Um, and it was the days you know, where it, litigation wasn't wasn't really in anybody's mind. They were just delighted that they had somebody who would do their very best for their animal in its, you know, in its ailing stages. Or so it was enough just for me to do my very best, and that was exactly what I did. And it, it again, that was a win win situation. And you just had to deal with everything that was thrown your way. Um, so, you know, I would. I remember my my first week in practice, I pinned, not pinned, I plated a cat's leg um, because I didn't know that, that, that you, you know, you shouldn't, that we had no experts, we had nobody to refer to. So we, we were the last stop. We just had to, to do what we thought was best. So it, it was an absolutely brilliant first learning job. Um, and my boss was very supportive and very encouraging and just, you know, do, do whatever you can do. That sounds, that does sound wonderful. You know, the, the combination of the caseload and, and a supported boss. It, it really was. Um, and it, and again, just because I had to kind of think on my feet. Um, I mean, when I was in the tent, the, the consulting table was actually a, a plastic kennel that had a rubber mat over and a, a cover over so if there was something that I had to take back to the main practice we just used to have to sedate it and put it in the kennel and hope it went to sleep jeez um, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, I, I got very practical when it when it got dark in the winter I had a little neon lamp that I used to hook up to the car battery to give me light um learned <sighs> learned to use a a pencil to write in because pens just um got a bit wet. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
But, you know, it, it taught you to, to think on your feet. I didn't, if I didn't have a set of gillies and a needle to stitch something up, I, I learned that if you put a bit of suture material through a hypodermic needle, you could just put the needle through the two skin edges and pull your pull your thread through and tie a knot. And that was how oh, yeah. things up. So it, it really was, it was, it was great fun. Um, how long were you there? I was there for two years. Um, and then... I returned back to my hometown of, of Glasgow. And what sort of practice did you go into then? I then went into a totally small animal practice, a very busy, um, totally small animal practice. There were, I forget now, but there was about, I think, six or seven um, different branches that we rotated around. There was the main hub, and then they had about six or seven smaller branches that we all went to in rotation just um, with a bag no drugs were kept in the the branches there were small single branches and we just took a visiting bag with the the drugs that we thought we would need for that particular surgery and again it was an ideal um next step i've really been so lucky right throughout my professional life um because i'd honed my basic skills at at post call in wales and then this practice in glasgow they had like bitch speedy and cat speedy so all the clients would just bring the bitches to be spayed on a say a Tuesday, I think it was. So I would have twelve bitches to spay on a Tuesday, um, which was not out of order. It was usually about somewhere between ten and twelve. So you got very slick and very fast at doing all the routine surgeries with bitch spay and cat spay, and then the other days were kept for the the you know slightly more difficult things. So we would have six bitches to spay in the morning and six in the afternoon. So we got very good and slick at doing the the routine things. And certainly you, you got over your fear of doing big fat bitch space very quickly. That's good. And you had to feel a little bit, I mean, your confidence had to be coming from the other practice. You yes. had to be confident that you could pretty much handle anything that came your way, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Every day is a school day though, isn't it? Um, uh-huh. I, I had a very good foundation from which to to jump off into my next job. Yeah. Um, so, so how long did you stay there? I stayed there um, just over a year. And then I saw a job advertised for a practice in Ayr. Um, the appeal of it was that there would be no overnight on-duty work. The practice in Glasgow, um, yes, it was really busy, but it was the days where we all still did our own on-call. And I was on two, sometimes three nights a week. And then you just worked your normal day thereafter. Mm-hmm. So you'd end up you know, a night with no sleep at all and then working a full day. Um, and that over a period of a year and a bit is is quite draining. And I think we were on two weekends out of four, if I remember rightly. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it was, again, it was an ideal learning place, but for staying long-term, it, it was really just a bit, you did nothing but work, put it that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Or sleep. <laughs> right. So what about the third practice? What was it like? Yeah, it, it, which is the one I eventually stayed in. So it was in Air, which is a, coastal town just about 40 miles um south of glasgow on on the coast a beautiful it's a kind of holiday town um and the job was being advertised as doing the they wanted somebody to take over the small animal side of what was basically a large animal practice so there was four large animal vets and they needed somebody to do what they called their kind of token small animal input so I thought, well, okay, you know, I've 
I could do that on my own. I had the confidence after my early start to, to think that that would be quite, you know, my, my next kind of logical step. I didn't intend to stay very long, but I thought that's fine. I'll go there for a year or so. There was no on-call overnight, um, but I did work from nine till seven, Monday to Friday, and nine till one on a Saturday. Oh, what I hadn't what I hadn't realised actually was, although there was no on-call overnight, um, because the large animal guys were going to cover the on-call. <laughs> Their idea of covering on call was just to admit anything small animal wise and then <laughs> and deal with it in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, that, that, that was interesting, shall we say? Um, but again, that was a that was a, a an ideal next learning spot because I, I was on my own, um, but I got to shape and build the practice, um, and because I saw everything all the time there was no hiding from any any of your cases it was like you, you, I learned what worked and I learned what didn't work um and that that was a really interesting kind of phase of practices as well you that makes sense cases right through yeah 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 so uh, how long did you stay there I stayed there for 40 years wow <laughs> yes, I know. Um, I went there in 1980, was it 83? Um, and in 1987, they offered me a partnership, um, which, uh, to be honest, at that point in time, the senior partner did say to me that um, the, the founding members of the practice, the, the practice had been started in 1908, um, he said the founding members of the practice would be turning in their graves because never had they thought they would have a woman in the practice. Um, and they certainly never, ever would have thought they would have a, a female as a partner. Um, so I, I did I did feel this was a kind of um, fairly honourable position to be offered a partnership. And I, I, I accepted, obviously. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, so at what point did holistic medicine enter the picture? Holistic medicine kind of reared its head early on. We would need to backtrack a wee bit. Um, I I realised after probably about a year and a half to two years in, into my career, so still still down in, in Wales, that actually what I'd been taught at vet school didn't have the answer to everything. I came out all bouncing full of enthusiasm that, you know, I'd be able to cure every ill and heal every ailment only to discover that actually that was very, very far from the truth. And it was one of my clients, one of the, the clients from one of the Welsh um, villages, actually, who introduced me to homeopathy. I'd heard of homeopathy, but um, I was a very left-brained, you know, died in the wool scientist product of our, our veterinary training and uh, tended to poo-poo these things a wee bit, if I'm being honest at that stage. But um, I saw I saw my own um, evidence of homeopathy working. That's all they had had, had before the, the vets arrived in, in the villages. And I, I saw the, the effect that homeopathy had, so I had piqued an interest in homeopathy. So when I came back to Glasgow, I decided to follow this up and I got in touch with the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons to see if there was a veterinary um, homeopathic training, which at that time there wasn't. Um, there is a very well-established one now, but at that time nobody was doing it. And I said, well, look, I really want to do this and I want to use it in animals. So what what, what are my options? 
And they suggested that, well, they wouldn't really condone it, but if I wanted to do anything, I could go to the Royal London Homeopathic Hospital that did the the MFOM, the homeopathic training for doctors in, mm-hmm. in the UK. So not not to be put off, I got in touch with them and they agreed that I could go and do the MFOM course that was open to cheap you know, general practitioners and um, medical human doctors. So I did that. It was a, 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 a doable thing. It was a kind of rolling course that we went down for a week um, every so often to the homeopathic hospital. And then we had distance learning in, in between times. And I just used my annual leave and I funded it all myself. And I did the MFOM course between 83 and 85 or 83 and 86. Um, Towards the end of that time, there was a kind of grandfather cohort of of vets who were interested in homeopathy, who'd also been doing the the human MFOM course, and they went on to set up the the veterinary homeopathic um, teaching course. Uh So I started using homeopathy um, kind of the mid-80s. Yeah. And I just worked away quietly using it where, where I thought it was appropriate and where it fitted and built up quite a core of clients who very much believed in the holistic approach and they started to come to me because that was the the, the approach that that they wanted and I, and I just mixed it in along with my conventional medicine because you have to remember I was still the only vet doing the small animal side of this mi- mixed practice so it yeah. wasn't either or it was a kind of both and um, situation really and then one of my holistic clients had a dash hound that developed intervertebral um, disc disease, and she asked if I would treat it with acupuncture. And I said, well, I would, but I don't actually know anything about acupuncture. And then as serendipity would have it, um, actually my whole professional life has been a serendipity. <laughs> anyway, serendipity had it that very week. There was advertised in the veterinary record, um, which was one of the veterinary press magazines here, that there was a vet down in Wiltshire in England who was running a, an acupuncture course for interested vets um, in a couple of weekends. So I thought, oh, right, okay, it was a wee sign from the universe. So I, I phoned up and I enrolled in that course and went down and did a weekend course on veterinary acupuncture and came away with my little box of needles and thinking that I knew everything that there was to know about acupuncture. How ignorance is bliss. Anyway, um, so I treated this lady's dash out and it, it got better. And I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. And so I then just played around, not played around, but I, I used acupuncture as and when I saw fit. So I now had um, homeopathy and acupuncture in my little backpack for, for use as required. And then my, my interest in the acupuncture really grew Um when I saw the results that could be achieved with with it. So there then came the opportunity to do the IRIS certification in the UK. Yeah. Which was, I think, by now we, we've forwarded on to, when did I get my IRIS? I got my IRIS qualification in 1999, I believe. Um, so th- there was a, a few vets who'd wanted to do the IVA certificate. We couldn't do it in the UK at that point in time. So I think they had, um, again, got in touch with the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons who said that, well, they would sanction it if it was done at a recognised place of learning. Mm. So 
oh, not to be outdone, this team got in touch with Exeter University, um, yeah. down south, who at that point in time did an ME in complementary medicine. So they said that they would um, have the IVIS course under their kind of umbrella. We would get so many points for doing this module if any of us then wanted to go ahead and do their I don't know if it was an MA or a diploma, but anyway, they, they did some kind of qualification in complementary medicine. So we organised for the American lecturers to come over and we ran the IVIS course over in the UK down in Exeter um, over the period of a, a year. And then the the team all flew over from America and we, we got to sit the exam. Um so that was, yeah, I got my IVIS in 1999. And the, the doing that, um, I got to meet, again, various people who were quite influential. One of them was Maria Glinsky, who was one of the lecturers um, yeah. at that point in time. And she had uh, she was um, head vet in an integrative practice in Milwaukee at that point in time. So part of the IVIS um, certification was we had to do, I think it was 25 hours um, shadowing, doing an internship with um, other veterinary acupuncturists. And there, of course, there was none in the UK at that point in time, because it, this, again, was a fairly kind of groundbreaking thing. So I went over to Milwaukee and stayed with Maria for a while and saw practice with her. And then she arranged for me to see practice with a friend of hers down in Chicago who did just all um, small animal acupuncture. Um, and that was a fascinating time because she also, um, this lady did the equivalent of um, street vet work that we have here in the UK. So she did yeah. the, the, the dogs of people who were homeless. And so we yeah. used to go out of an evening um, in, into the depths of, of downtown Chicago and do the, the homeless people's dogs. And that really opened me up to the, the bond between animals and their owners. And some of the amazing stories from there were, were just fascinating. Um, and then Maria also arranged me to go and see practice with an equine um, lady who she also had the chiropractic and the herb um, qualifications. So that was also fascinating because that then introduced me to um, herbal medicine and chiropractic and um, you know ha different hands-on therapies. Were you still in the Midwest? Um, where was she? Waukesha County. Oh, um, so you're close, close to Milwaukee. Yeah. And then on another trip, um, so I came back from that and Maria had um, – she had really inspired me. She said, look, if you really want to learn more about acupuncture, you have to take it further and do a human qualification. Maria had lived in China for several years and she, in, in Milwaukee, she did um, a human clinic as well as a, a, a veterinary clinic. And so when I came back to the UK, I looked up to see what was possible to do whilst obviously still working full time as, as a vet. So the, College of Integrated Chinese Medicine in, in Reading to a degree program in human Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And at that point in time, I believe still they, they do, one of the options was to go down and do the course on a Saturday and Sunday. So for three and a half years, you could go down every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, um, and do the course that way. So in a moment of madness, I decided that this seemed really quite a good idea. And <laughs> so I, I sanctioned it with my bosses and 
I worked in the clinic Monday to Friday, and then I would get the last the last plane down on a Friday night to London, make my way across London to to Reading, and on a Saturday it was nine in the morning till seven at night, and I think the Sunday was again nine till six. And Sunday night I would race back to to London and get the last the last flight back up to to Prestwick so I could start work again on the Monday. Uh, so wow. I did my um, human qualification in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and that really opened my eyes to the beauty of Chinese medicine, um, and and it it really kind of enforced for me how much it was an art as well as a as a science. Did you treat people at all then? I did, yes. Um, the the last part of the, was it last nine months at Kickham, we had a patient commitment. So we would treat um, patients in the college clinic every weekend. Um, actually, that was quite funny because I remember to, to begin with, I had a lady who, I think she'd had a hip replacement and I was treating her for pain. Anyway, my, my supervisor in the early days had to point out that I didn't actually need to restrain my patient's leg. And, <laughs> and I, I could actually ask them to bend their knee. Um, and, <laughs> and most people did right. I was so used to, to dealing with dogs, Neil, you know, where you would kind of like hold things in position before you could <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally forgot that humans were sometimes a lot more cooperative and we didn't actually need to hold their leg down on the treatment couch while we put the needles in. <laughs> no muzzling. <laughs> no, no muzzling required. <laughs> oh, gosh. I did, I did treat people for a little, a little while and then I realised that, no, I mean, my, my first love and always will be was, was treating animals. But I then used what I had learnt at... Mm-hmm. And incorporated that into my veterinary work, um, both from the treating the animals point of view, but also for dealing with the clients. And the, the things that I learned at, at Kickham, um, Kickham had a, a an educational system that was both five element and TCM. So they had a, a, a knitting together of the two types of Chinese medicine. And we did a lot on five-element acupuncture. And a big part of the course was what they called skills training. So we were taught about colour, sound, odour and emotion and how to recognise what people's, what they called constitutional factors were and and how to gain rapport by always validating the imbalanced emotion of their constitution and that kind of thing. So I I decided to try this out with... um, clients to see if it would get them to open up a bit more or te- you know, encourage them to tell me a bit more about their animal because I'd, again I'd realised over the years that a, a good owner's um, observations will tell you really what you need to know about about the animal but they, they need to trust you and they need to know that they can say you know whatever it is they want to say. So I started using um, the skills that we've been taught at, at Kickham for trying to read my client's constitutional factor and then using the validation of the imbalanced emotion to to get them to open up now how can I explain that better so say for example I was running late which happened quite a lot um, and I knew that people had been kept waiting in the waiting room what I would do is when the client came in if I thought there were a wood cf constitutional wood cf so that the imbalanced emotion that would go with that would be anger or frustration so 
the first thing I would say to them when they came in the door was, I'm so sorry to have kept you late. I realize you must be angry. Um, ah, uh-huh. and it, or, or, or if they were um, a water CF, so the imbalanced emotion would be fear, I would say, Look, I'm really sorry to have kept you waiting. I know you'll now be, you know, worried about your next appointment will be late. And if you, if you fear that you can't, you know, or you don't wish to wait, we can make another appointment or you, you get the idea. Um, yeah, yeah. I was absolutely gobsmacked about how something so simple um, on, on the face of it could actually totally change how the whole rest of the consultation would go. Um, and it, it it was something I, I did teach to, to my young vets in the practice because it, it, it really helps to just kind of de-escalate any potentially fiery situation and the owners immediately kind of got back on board and were able to then kind of communicate about their animal instead of being in a in a an emotionally imbalanced state which is never good for a consultation as I'm sure you'll appreciate yeah that's a good strategy yeah yeah it, it was a really helpful part of the the kickham course uh, and, and one certainly that I've, I took into practice thereafter how did the uh the, how did the small animal side of the practice grow? How many veterinarians did you end up yes, working well, with? Yes, well, this is the interesting factor. Um, having said that the founding factors would, would um, turn in their grave at the thought of having a female partner. At, when I became a partner, I was the only person doing small animal, and there was the four male large animal partners, and we had a horse um, specialist as well who would come in and do the horse work. So over the over the years, that was 1987, so 25 years later, um, 2012, we went completely small animal. Um, the large animal partners had gradually kind of retired. The, there was a kind of organic evolution of the practice. The small animal, while I was there, just began getting busier and busier and busier until it was really far too much for, for me alone. Um, so, one of the large animal vets started to do a lot more small animal and then it, it got even too big for that. So there was then three small animal vets. And by 2012, when I became the senior partner, it was we, we, we made the decision to go totally small animal. And to date, there's um, nine, nine small animal vets Um and there was just, there was uh, twenty twelve when when we went small animal. It was just myself, my business partner Stuart. Um, Stuart had joined the practice from vet school, and we had him as a student. And then right through vet school, and he joined us from from vet school. So he and I had always worked together, and we took the decision to go totally small animal in twenty twelve. So from being a mainly large animal um, practice in the early days. When I joined, it did a full 180 or 360 and became totally small animal um, in 2012. That's amazing. Mm. So where's practice taking you now? Well, I stayed there, as I said to you, until um, I retired. COVID COVID hit, um, as it did everybody. And for various reasons, I decided to stop um, practice I didn't want my last two years I'd I'd hoped I would work on for another couple of years but um family demands and and various other things 
made it more sensible to stop. So I spoke to Stuart, my senior partner, and I decided to retire in May 2020. Um, my mum, uh, at that point in time, had um, started to show the signs of early dementia, and she'd had a fall and broken her leg. And it, it was lovely to have some time to actually spend with her over the next six months, particularly throughout the COVID season, um, when, as you know, along with everybody else, there wasn't a lot of mixing and um, meeting with other people. And then mum passed away, actually, in December 2020. And wow. we had the the task, as everybody has, of, of then clearing the family home. She, she and dad had lived there for 60 years, so that took about another six months. And then once that was all done, I was thinking, oh, I wonder what to do now. Um, and again, serendipity. Um, <laughs> one, one of the clients that I had treated with, um, whose animals I treated with acupuncture when I was at the practice in air, had gone to herbal vets in Glasgow after I had left. And at one consultation, she was being treated by um, Regan. Mm-hmm. Regan and Jordan are the two the two brilliant girls at, at Herbal Vets, I will say. Regan was going to go off on maternity leave and she'd been saying to this client that, well, they, you know, they might look for a locum. And this client, I said, well, have you thought about phoning Anne? <laughs> and at that point, I hadn't, I hadn't really heard of Herbal Vets and, I don't, and they had no reason to know me either. <clears throat> anyway, this, this client arranged a, a meeting. And, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. The, the, I went to visit the practice and I was just so enthused at um, the fact that these young girls, well, young in my um, way of looking, everybody's young when you get to my age, Neil. Um, yeah. These young girls were so enthusiastic and so knowledgeable and, you know, they'd stuck their head above the, the parapet and they were practising holistic medicine and they were well qualified and professionally qualified in, in acupuncture and Western herbs and Eastern herbs um, and nutrition and chiropractic as well as their conventional training. Um, and I just thought, well, if there's any way I can support or help or help them while one of them's off in maternity, then I, I would really, really love to do that. So I joined Herbal Vets in, gosh, towards the end. September, October 21, just over a year ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was so lovely for me to see that there are these cohort of young vets now. Because um, as you can imagine, when I was their age, the, the, I mean, I just quietly did what I did and th- there was nobody else you could really discuss or, or relate to because th- there weren't many people doing complementary medicine at that point in time, certainly not woo-woo things like homeopathy. Right, um, yeah. And... How lovely to meet the, this new, young, fresh blood that are determined to, you know, make sure this holistic way of, of treating animals is carried forward. And it, I've just loved my time there. What a journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of come full circle. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just feel so, I mean, I can't say how lucky I feel that, um I think I've I got the absolute best out of the profession for the time that I was in it. I think I was so lucky in my early days. I don't think we'd get away nowadays with with doing some of the things that I got to do in my early stages. 
And then through the interest in um, complementary medicine, I just got to meet so many interesting people and got to travel to America. And um, I got to teach, actually, as well. Um, I had, through my various travels, I, I met up with um, the team from Glasgow University who were doing the chronic pain study and they asked if I would do acupuncture and we would include acupuncture as a therapeutic modality for the relief of chronic pain. And then through that, um, meeting um, Professor Jackie Reed, she'd asked me to lecture at the International Association of Veterinary Anesthetists on acupuncture, which I did. Through that, met up with Sheila Robertson, who's the professor of um, anesthesia at Florida. And Sheila and I had actually qualified together Ah. Through that, she then asked, we did a day's team teaching at um, Barcelona at the Southern European Veterinary Congress in 2006 or 2007. Um, so there's just been all these kind of sequence of serendipitous events and meeting people that's led to the next thing and then the next thing. And I just feel I spent my whole professional life, you know, being paid to do something that I would have done voluntarily it's 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 really i'm just so grateful oh what a story yeah just a series of of good consequences yes yeah 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 and and hopefully they will continue but who knows what the what the onward journey will be wonderful and it was great to talk to you oh i knew too neil i i hope i've not talked too much but no that was wonderful i it was just amazing from that uh, dragging that trailer around to Yes. <laughs> I think I'm just so um, grateful to know that there's a young cohort of fabulous people like like Reagan and Jordan who are going to keep the flag flying when when I no longer can. Right, the next generation. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Very good, Anne. Thanks so much for taking the time. It was wonderful to talk to you. And you too, Neil. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye now. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.